Okay, so we were discussing about klipas noga. Klipas noga is the thing which enlivens our animal soul, enlivens everything we do which is not a sin, nor is it uh, nor is it a for the sake of heaven, right? Which did we mean, mean there are some room for things which are not mitzvahs but are for the sake of heaven, which I said we'll discuss. Um, it also enlivens all the things in the world, right? Other than what? The souls and bodies of non-Jews, the souls and bodies of animals that are in, unclean, as they're, being, they're forbidden to eat because of what kind of animal they are, and also the souls of the plants that are forbidden to eat because of the way they were grown. Okay. Now, we said a few things about klipas noga. Number one, klipas noga is a, as a mixture of good and bad. What do we mean by good and bad? It's not, good is not holy, bad is not the three impure klipas. What does the good and bad mean? Something for someone else, and that's the end of itself. If you're not doing it for someone else, so that it benefits you. Close. Close. If you're doing something for somebody else, yeah. Like a selfless person, you go. Well, I wouldn't like say. For someone, I think we said someone's welfare is an end, right. not a means to an end. Right. Someone's welfare is an end, not a means to an end. But that's still not. It's not your selfless. This is very important. Right? If you care about somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. That mean that doesn't mean that you care about somebody else and like if you're going beyond yourself. It means that's part of yourself is a little bit broader. So the idea, the idea of Klipas Noga is that it's all about yourself. But there's a sense of yourself that incorporates and entails others, right? So if you are a good person and you want to live a life that's authentic. You, you have to care about people. You, 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 you show compassion for people. Other people's suffering bothers you. Other people's um, health matters to you, right? Um, and that's what's motivating is that's the only way you can live in a, in a, in a way you're thriving and flourishing because you're a good person, right? If you were a bad person, right, then you could only care about other people because you're using that to get to something else which benefits you. So like you helping people um, because that makes you feel proud of yourself or something, right? Or you're helping people because you're going to get compliments. What about like, that. like being friends with someone because they're funny and they make you laugh and you like be, having, you like laughing? Well, the question is what would happen when they're no longer Real. funny? What? What happens when they're no longer funny? They're annoying. You don't want to be with them. So then that's the bad, that's the, that's the... Not when they're not funny, when they're annoying. Right, right. So, that's, so that's the, that's the evil the side of Klipa Snova. That means that that you care about yourself and the only value in them is what they do for you. Okay? So Klipas Noga has this idea it splits to good and bad. Remember, at its core, Klipas Noga is all about myself. And I. It's about me, 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 me. The question is, does me entail someone else? That's the good of Klipas Noga. Does it make room for someone else? Whether that someone else is another person, someone else is Hashem. Or is that there isn't room for someone else unless... I'm using them. I'm getting something out of them. Right? Mm-hmm. Good? Okay. Most of our friends are not really our friends then, right? Because most of our friends are people we enjoy hanging out with because being around them <laughs> makes, you makes you feel good. And the minute that they're not making you feel good, you're like, you don't want them in your life anymore. So, right? real friends would be people that... You don't that want them in your life anymore. Like, you want a break. Real friends are people that, when, th- when, things, are going di- when things are difficult with them, the thing you would prefer is not the, the thing you prefer is to actually make it go well. 
because you actually care about them. Okay. Then we said that klipas noga is not just a mixture of good and bad, it also serves an intermediary between holiness and the three impure klipas, right? Which means that even though everything gets its life from Hashem, it doesn't mean that Hashem gives like a, a direct channel where he enlivens the klipas, the three impure klipas, which have no good, right? Rather, what does Hashem do? He gives life to the side of holiness. Holiness then gets um, sucked into klipas noga, and then klipas noga then transfers it over to the three impure klipas. Right? Kind of like a translator, right? So Hashem doesn't actually directly, there's no direct contact between the side of holiness and the three impure klipas. Um, I have a question about the friend situation. Yes. If you know that somebody really wants to be your friend and you don't really care for them that much, mm-hmm. but you are friends with them because you know about them, what would that fall Well, the question is, the question is if you go one step back, why are you friends with them? You know about it, okay, but why? Because they want you to be friends. Okay, but why? Why does that move you? Why does that motivate you? Maybe you feel bad that... You feel bad for them? You have compassion for them? You feel it's, it's really sad and tragic that someone doesn't have any friends, and even though I don't particularly like this person, they want to be friends with me, and that would really enhance their life, and you, because of that, that would be the good side of Klippus Noga. The bad side of Klippus Noga is now you can walk around feeling superior in your own head that you're such a nice person. And look at what you do for this other person. That would be the bad side of Klippus Noga. Bad, like you're still doing it you like yeah, yeah. It's an act of compassion. It's not. A, in other words, it's compassion. It's not. It's not. It's not friendship. Friendship is. A, there's. There's friendship which leads to compassion because I'm close to the person, therefore I have compassion. There's just compassion in general, which therefore I can act as a friend out of compassion, but I'm not really their close friend. Yeah. Does often the good of Klippus Noga lead to the bad of Klippus Noga? Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Remember, in our world, most of the Klippus Noga is almost entirely. With very little bit of good mixed in. Okay. Um, you said that the Kriyas Noga like, sucks in the holiness. Like, yes. How does that happen? So, like an, an analogy, or like you want the metaphysics of it? The analogy is like, let's say you do a mitzvah. And the real, real, your motivation for doing the mitzvah is because your godly soldiers really wanted to connect to Hashem, so you did the mitzvah. Okay? But then you do the mitzvah, and then there's some voice in you says, wow, I did the mitzvah. Like, that's pretty good. It's good of me. I'm pretty proud of myself. So now what happened is your act of holiness got sucked into something all about you, right? Have you ever had this experience where you're davening? Have you ever had this experience where you're talking to Hashem? And like it actually goes, and then you realize it goes, and you feel so proud of yourself? Goes what? Like you're really talking to God. Like sometimes it's hard to talk to God. And you feel like you can really connect. You feel like you really connect, and then you feel proud of yourself yeah. that you're really connected. So you just switch from the realm of holiness to <laughs> okay. the realm of Klippas Noga, what, like that. What switched? The, en- like the what? The, the energy you're The will. Yes, the energy you're getting. So you went from doing a mental to the Shem yourself, and then what? The or you just have two opposite Well, you have to differentiate different parts of you. There's, let's talk about right now your conscious mind. Your conscious yeah. mind is like a radio. Which channel are you tuning into? Uh-huh. So you're talking to Hashem in a genuine, sincere way, and then all of a sudden you feel really proud of yourself that you were talking to Hashem. So you just switch channels from the Kadusha channel 
behind, yeah, your rate of tefillah doesn't make sense because you, you learn in Hebrews that when you do a mitzvah, you're getting Hashem. So if I'm cheating, which part of you is getting Hashem? I don't know. Your the, hand? That's right. The part that's doing the mitzvah. Seriously? It's yes. Like you just, the part that's doing the mitzvah. So when you're davening. So davening, davening is tricky because davening is all in the mindset. So let's take a different mitzvah. Let's say, let's say you know, you're doing a mitzvah and your initial motivation to do the mitzvah is it's a mitzvah and you're just like, you know, simple Jew kind of stuff. And, you, yeah? and, you did the, and you're doing the mitzvah. Let's take the mitzvah. It's ongoing, right? Yeah. So initially when you're doing the mitzvah, like, there's the holiness in the act. Right. And you were on some level consciously tapping into the channel of the holiness, right? And then at some point you shift and feel really proud of yourself that you're doing the mitzvah. And so while your hands are doing the have the holiness, your mind is, you know, getting the clipus noga. When you light Shabbat candles, what's getting the holiness? Your hands and the candles. And your mouth saying the And the mouth saying the mouth saying the bracha, your lungs and diaphragm. Your mind, pretty much your mind, your mind can be very tricky. This is what goes back, Alter says, is that that's where the love and fear come in. If the mitzvah is about love and fear, then that's Yeah. And it's, then it's like you're not really doing the mitzvah. The mitzvah is getting done, but you as a yeah, sentient being isn't really in it, right? Yeah, but Hashem as coming down to the world. Oh, that's happening, yeah. That's happening. Yeah, that's happening. Right. Yeah, but you as a living sentient being aren't really in the mitzvah. You're like busy having a little klipa fest. Mm-hmm. The, the analogy that is used in, in, is that the king is making a feast and a banquet and the... Um, and um, so the scraps go over to the dogs, right? And so the dogs, you know, and... Um, you know, it would be kind of foolish if one of the, the, the nobles gets, excuses himself from the table and goes down during the king's feast and starts gnawing on the bones of the dogs, right? But that's what happens when you're in the middle of the mitzvah and trying to think that you're really proud of yourself for doing the mitzvah. That's basically what your conscious mind is doing. Like, there's godliness residing in the act of the mitzvah, but your mind is like in the... Horrible. Well, you, you and the Al-Jabba can have a fight about it. <laughs> but that's the situation. Okay, so... So, the way it works is like this. Let me use a little diagram here. So we have, I can use Hebrew, right? Everybody here is okay with the Hebrew? Okay. So I have, these are the markers. Can you show? You have so many markers. Okay. And the board is okay. Can I have Good? What's that set? Gimel Klippus. What? I can't read Hebrew. You can't read Hebrew? The, I, don't, I never learned how to read the cursor. Oh, that's a gimel. Okay. See, that's at the top and that's a leg in the back. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have Kedusha and you have the three Klippas. Okay. Now, right? The, the energy of Hashem, right, goes in this direction. Right? Now, the side of holiness, it actually receives from the holiness. But once it passes beyond the realm of the holiness, right, does the holiness of Hashem keep going? No, only the back side, right, which we discussed previously. Remember that? Okay. Now, the thing is, there is no point of contact between here. So it's like Kedusha speaks Hebrew and the Gimel Klippas speak English. They can't communicate, right? So what do we have? Okay. We have Klippus Noga. Okay? And the Klippus Noga serves as a bridge 
between the Kedusha and the Gimaklipas, right? That's what that's why it's called a Mamutsa and intermediary. Okay? Now before we go on, I want to talk about this idea of intermediary, and then we're going to start um, the the second sentence of the paragraph. If I don't speak Chinese, and I want to speak to someone who does not speak English, okay, I need a translator, right? What does the translator have to have? Knowledge of both languages. Knowledge of both languages. In other words, the translator has to be able to understand my English and also be able to speak to me in English, right? And the translator also has to be able to understand the Chinese, the Chinese speaker and be able to speak to that person in Chinese, right? Okay. So that means every time you have an intermediary, the intermediary by definition has to have how many parts? Two. Two. The part that connects it to one side and the part that connects it to the... Right, so hence Klippas Nova has to have a side which is Tov and a side which is Ra, right? The, the three impure Klippas don't really speak the language of the Tov, the language of the good of the Klippas Nova. It's the Ra, the evil of the Klippas Nova, that's what actually can interact with the three impure Klippas. And Kedusha doesn't have any contact with even this Ra. It only interacts with the Tov, right? So what ends up happening is there's a point of connection between the good aspect of the Klippas Nova and the Kedusha. There's a point of contact between the Ra, the evil aspect of the Klippas Nova, and the three impure Klippas. And Klippas Nova itself, right, is able to like shift and blend between the two, right? And so that's what allows this connection to take place. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, if you have any questions on anything I've said, please ask now, because as of right now, it's going to become more complicated. And this communication is the backhandedness of the Ultimately, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? No one has any problems. Okay. Yeah. Hence, what does the word hence mean? Yeah. What does that mean? And so, because of what everything before. Because of everything before, the following is true. So, what was the sentence before? That the Klippas Nova is an intermediary, right? Yeah. Because the Klippas Nova is intermediary, it is sometimes absorbed within the three unclean Klippas. Skip the brackets. And sometimes it is absorbed and elevated to the category and level of holiness. So what did we just learn? That, that Klippas Noga, because it's an intermediary, something very weird can happen, which is it can become absorbed in one side or it can be absorbed in the other side. Okay? So let me... Okay? So let's, let's understand what, what does that mean. So I'm going to use the analogy of a translator, okay? Um... This is, this is not a precise answer, but it illustrates the point. So let's say the United States government wants to speak to the Chinese government. And for argument's sake, right, you know, we need a translator because there's no one that speaks both languages, right? So you have a translator. Now, if the United States government is going to speak English, the Chinese government speaks Chinese, the translator needs to speak both languages, right? right. Now, the standard setup is going to be is that how, what role is the translator playing? Well, the translator is doing three things. Okay, every step along the way, the translator does three things. Number one, the translator listens to the speaker. 
Right, so we'll just go. There's the number one, the translator listens to the American government in English. What's step two the translator does? Says it to the. No. Understands it. I have to understand it, right? Because you can't translate unless you actually understand. Right. And then. He explains it. Says it over what, says over what he understood, could be a she, to the, in Chinese, right? So step one is listen in the language of the one speaking. Step two is understanding it himself or herself. And step three is then giving it over to the language of the listener. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Now, if that's what the translator is doing, is there room for error? Is there room for misinterpretation? Yeah. Yeah, but where is the error? Right. The, right. the understanding. The understanding, right? In other words, there's a, right, it depends on how good the translator is at really understanding the intent of the original speaker and then being able to reproduce that same intent, right? Mm -hmm. And we understand that for sure something will get lost, something will get missed, but that's the way it works, okay? Now, if the United States government is going to have a negotiation with the Chinese government, and again, let's assume that no one speaks, you know, and they get a translator. Do they want a translator who is employed by the United States government or a translator who is employed by the Chinese government? Or does it not make a difference? You just have to give them all there. Why? What does it matter? Because they're going to trust us. I know that they want my benefit. No, you understand it in your language. Like, no? Won't you be a little bit more on their side when you understand it more than the one that like, you're speaking to? Like, if I understand English better... Yeah, but that goes into the basic prerogatives of, a Chinese, of, of, of being a translator. If you, don't under, if you don't speak both languages on a mother tongue level, you shouldn't be a translator in diplomatic circles. So that's like a general rule. No, and people that, people that... People that, people that citizen, what? You just assume that they're a citizen, they'll, they'll back you up more than the other guy. But they're just a translator. What difference does it make? Because a translation is an explanation to Oh. So what you have to understand here is that there is an idea that what can happen is that the affinity that the translator has to one side can become dominant in the mind of the translator. And then what's going to happen is that it's not really that path of communication is not really happening anymore, right? right? In other words, it's that, that translator is now, instead of relaying from one side to the other, which of course there's something that's lost in transmission, but fine. Instead of that, what's happening is that that translator is now actually um, become uh, part of the diplomatic game to play with the other person, to, to make them think one thing is supposed to something else, right? Yeah. And so often in these kind of situations, both sides want their own translators, right? Mm -hmm. Does this make sense? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what can happen now? What happens if the Klippus Noga remains not really aligned with either side. So that's like a regular translator, right? But remember, the good of the Klippas Noga and the Kedusha, they do have an affinity towards each other, right? And the Ra, the evil of the Klippas Noga and the Shoshul Klippas Noga, three imperial Klippas, they have an affinity towards each other, right? So what happens if one of these sides really kind of becomes dominant and takes over the whole enterprise of the Klippas Noga? Then what happens? That's right. So if the good becomes dominant, then what ends up happening is that effectively the good side of the Klippus Noga erases for all intents and purposes the bad side, and then they go and have a party together. Is it even possible for the good to become... Yes, we're going to talk about that. 
Okay? So this is, right? So that's what's possible is to, take the, is to take the good, make it the dominant characteristic, so much so that it completely overshadows the, the, the evil side. And then what happens is the Klippas Noga and the Kedusha just go hang out together. Because the thing is, what's preventing the Klippas Noga from really being absorbed into the realm of Kedusha is this Ra, is this evil. But if you could get rid of it, it could be absorbed. I'll give you a very simple example. What is preventing a person from eating a banana? There's one. No, that's not preventing them. I don't want them. I'm not eating oh, it. What's preventing gross. Banana? That's preventing the person from eating a banana? No. The peel. Have you ever seen a person? So, but what happens if you get the peel out of the way? Then you eat it. Then you eat it, right? So if the thing preventing the klipas noga from siding and being absorbed into the kadusha is the negative side of it, then if the positive side completely overshadows and suppresses the negative side, what happens? It all gets absorbed. Okay, but now what's possible the other way? What if the evil side of the Klippus Nova completely overshadows the positive? Then it gets completely absorbed into the three impure Klippus. So it turns out that the Klippus Nova can have how many possible states? Three. There's Klippus Nova where it's set in the middle. And, then there's Klippus, and when it's in the middle, what does that mean? Is either the good or the bad completely overshadowing the other? No. Now, there might be more of a tendency towards one or towards the other, right? Okay. So, uh, so let's say when you say they're going to hang out together, it's still klipa, it's not klipa. No, it stops being, it, no. So what I want you to think of it, think of the klipa like food. When you eat food, what happens to the food? Does the food stay food? No. It becomes part of you. But in order to eat the food, you have to make sure that the things that are not really edible aren't getting in the way, right? So you have to get rid of the so peel. It does what? If you get rid of all the ra, it becomes kedusha. If you get rid of the ra, then it's then you can absorb it into kedusha. Wait, when will, according to this, then when is it in that first? When is it in the middle? I'm going to talk about it. We're going to get to that. Okay. And if you get rid, and if you take make the ra so dominant that you effectively gotten rid of the good aspect, then what happens? It gets absorbed and eaten by the three impure will it Automatically, like let's say it's only tov, will it automatically be turned into kedusha. I'm not. I'm, I'm going. I'm, I'm giving you a heads up for all the deals that are going to come. So what I want you right now is not to get into the details. Just to understand that there's three possible states of klipa sunoga. Okay. Number one. Okay. Where it is. What's what's the first possible state? Where the Klippus Noga is in the middle. Which means the Klippus Noga has effectively just stayed Klippus Noga. It's Klippa, it's not Kedusha, but it has good. It's not the three impure Klippus. But there's no wit translator right now? It is the translator. It's the translator. He's not on either side? He's not on either side. In the middle. Okay. What's possibility number two? Right? It gets absorbed. Isn't that a name for us? How do you spell absorbed? Absorbed. B-E-E-D. Is there a name for the two options? It can be a mamutza. I can do the Hebrew. I mean, just if there's, there's a, same thing in the Hebrew. Or it can be absorbed. Mm -hmm. 
Okay? Which means Klebus Noga is complicated, right? Okay? And so that's what the rest of the chapter is going to explore. This fact that Klebus Noga is very dynamic. On the one hand, it's Klepa, but it contains good. And it serves, and that fact that it's klipa on the land contains good means that there's a possibility of it shifting around and becoming subsumed, becoming absorbed within one thing or the other. Okay, now, I would just like to make sure we have something very, very clear. If something is klipa, what does that do to your godly soul's ability to connect to Hashem? Does it strengthen it or weaken it? Weaken. It weakens it. What happens if something's kedusha? What does it do to your godly soul's ability to connect to Hashem? It strengthens it. Okay, so now, if you have Klippa Snoga and it's just in the middle, what is it doing? Is it strengthening your godly soul or weakening your godly soul? Weakening. Weakening. Because by default, it's still Klippa. It's still Klippa. If it's absorbed into the Kedusha, what is it doing? Elevating. What is it? It's strengthening your godly right? Yeah. Okay. And if it's absorbed into the three inferior clipas, what is it doing? Back. It's weakening, right? Yeah. But it's weakening in a very different way than if it was just in the middle. We need to talk about that, okay? So here's the thing. I have a cup of water. If I drink this water, now that, the water is, drinking water is not a mitzvah, right? Mm-hmm. And is water one of the things that is, for, that, is, that is just inherently forbidden? No. So it's not a mitzvah, it's not a sin, which means when I drink this water, either the act of drinking the water and the water itself are in the middle between the realm of holiness and the three impure klipas, in which case it is weakening my ability to connect to Hashem. Yeah. Or somehow it got absorbed into the realm of Kedusha, in which case it, the, the act of drinking the water and the water itself is actually going to strengthen my connection to Hashem. Or possibly it got absorbed in three impure klipas and it's going to weaken my connection to Hashem, but in a much graver way. And guess what that is going to depend on First and foremost, my intent. Nothing to do if, like, you say a bracha. Nope. Because you know what? If you drink without saying a bracha, that's a sin. So then it's three berkliepas anyway. It's forbidden to eat or drink without saying a bracha. Making a bracha doesn't affect the food. It's a common mistake. If you eat, if you make a bracha, it doesn't do anything to the food. It just makes it that you're allowed to eat. You're not elevating at all in your No, no, not at all. No, no, not really. Well, that's what you said and you bring it down. Yeah. The status quo is this cup of water, I haven't made a bracha by the way. This cup of water belongs to who? I'm not elevating it. belongs to Hashem. And if and if I drink it without his permission, that's called stealing. No, no elevating the cup and making the bracha. Oh no, the bracha is the bracha is very holy, but they're not doing anything to the water. Yeah. Yeah. Let's <laughs> make the food holy and make a bracha. That's not how that works. No. No. It just means that you're now allowed to eat the food. It doesn't make it holy. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. You make a bracha. Like, imagine a person. They go. They go to a kosher restaurant. They order everything on the menu because they're a glutton. Okay. You know gluttonous? Yeah. Okay. A glutton is someone who eats and eats. Yeah. No, I mean, it's an idea, but it's a glutton. And what? 
They're, they order everything on the menu. The fresser, right? The fresser. They literally order everything on the menu. It's in a long table arranged, right? So once they finish one thing, the next thing can come, right? Right? They make a bracha first. It's kosher mahajan restaurant. And they spend the next five hours gorging on everything on the menu. And you're telling me that's holy? No, it's not holy. There's nothing holy about that whatsoever. It's unholy, It's extremely unholy. But it is true. It is true. That they're not stealing from Hashem by eating. Why? Because they made a bracha. Ten points, like no one cares. Now, is doing a bracha mitzvah, is that being a tremendous amount of holiness in the world, the act of making a bracha? Sure it does, right? <laughs> but it didn't make the food holy. It didn't make your act of eating holy. It made making the bracha holy. Right, but then, like, you know, like, the stories where they, like, Hashem will come back down and they make yeah, because it's a holy act. And sometimes people come into the world and they want to make a bracha. But you can't make a bracha unless you're going to eat. So, like, it's pretty lofty if the only reason you want to eat is so you have the opportunity to make a bracha. Right? That's pretty cool. Most people don't like that. only asking permission, I thought. A bracha is still a mitzvah. The effect of the bracha on the food is it gives you permission to eat it. There's, it's a mitzvah like any other mitzvah. Right. It's just you can't do the mitzvah of making a bracha unless you're going to eat. So there's two things. I can look at... It's like you're not elevating your arm when you pronounce one. You are, actually. Because the arm is part of the mitzvah. You're not elevating your nose when you smell basamim. Right. Smelling basamim on the face of it is not a mitzvah. Uh, by havdalat, maybe it's a little different because it's, uh, because it's actually in the service of Hashem as a, as a, as a minute. But generally speaking, smelling basamim is not a mitzvah. Yeah, right? Okay, bad example. I need another example. There's no mitzvah to eat. That's the thing. Is there such a mitzvah to eat? No, there is Shabbos. Shabbos we're going to save for later. Okay, or matzah, but like matzah is matzah and mar and the four cups of wine during the times we have no basic English are the only mitzvahs where there's a mitzvah to eat. Right. So in your eating matzah, you're yes, you're doing a mitzvah. Right. When you're eating anything else, you're not doing a mitzvah. Good. Setting Shabbos aside, Shabbos is complicated. You're, doing, you're not doing a mitzvah. Now, it happens also be you're not allowed to eat unless you made a bracha. So if I'm looking at it from the perspective of food, what does the bracha accomplish? Well, the bracha accomplishes nothing other than making it permitted for me to eat the food. Okay. Now, if I look at it differently, if I look at the bracha itself, the bracha itself accomplishes tremendous things. It draws down godliness and elevates the order, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And now, if I care more about drawing down godliness, I might want to eat food in order to have the opportunity to make the bracha. On the other hand, if I care about food, I might be willing to make a bracha to allow me to eat. Two different perspectives. Like some souls come into this world because they want to make brachas and you know they can't. Okay, good? Okay, so now here's the thing. This cup of water right now, is, what is, is this poisonous for my godly soul? That's the question. This cup of water. Well, we have to ask ourselves a question. Is it the three impure klipas? No, because it's water. Water is not three impure unless something weird has happened to it, right? Oh, it is. It's in the middle, right? But it's klipas noga, and klipas noga is still fundamentally. And what is the and klipa is good for your godly soul or bad for your godly soul? Bad. It's bad. Now, what? How? How is this worse than? How is this better than this? How? We haven't gotten to how they're different, but this is bad for my godly soul. So if I drink this right now, what is it going to do to my godly soul? But it can be bad for One second. Right now, as is, if I drink this, what is it going to do to my godly soul? Weaken. It's going to weaken my godly soul. However, 
There's ways, there's, if I drink this thing for the wrong reasons, not only will it weaken my godly soul, it will weaken my godly soul severely. It won't be over here just in the middle. It'll be all the way down absorbed in three impure klipas. And then it could be as bad for as my godly soul as like eating pork. On the other hand, it is possible that this drinking this water may not be in fact so bad for my godly soul. It might in fact be good for it. But that would depend on my intention. That's right. So I want everyone to know, this is very, very important. We're going to be Right now, unless my motivations are the right motivations that put this Klippa Snoga into being absorbed in holiness, what is the effect of my godly soul going to be? Strength. Unless. Oh, wow. what, if I drink this oh, water right okay. now, what is this going to do to my godly soul? Okay. It is going to damage and weaken my godly soul. I want everyone clear, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Well, I probably just weakened my godly soul. Yeah. Why? Well, that's what we have to learn the rest of the chapter because that seems like a foolish thing to do. Does No. No, still weakening my godly soul. But if you didn't drink that water, you you can't speak. Like, your I don't understand. But it's for your logic. That's not why you did it. That's like indirect. I'm saying, is that weakening your godly soul? Sure it is. Because you just mentioned intent. So if you drank it to make a point for a lesson. You can say anything, though. I can say anything, right? No. But the question is, what's true? I did delay drinking the water until then to make a point. I know. But that's not why I drank the water. I drank the water because I was thirsty. No, I mean, like, you're really you delayed you water and drink that water. Yes. Okay. So what are examples when it is absorbed and elevated in the category and level of holiness? As when the good that is intermingled is extracted from the bad and prevails and ascends until it is absorbed in holiness, right? And there's a lot of details here. We're not going to go through all of them, but basically some process has to be to take out the good and make the good the dominant, and then it can get absorbed. Okay? What are cases, such as cases of one who eats beef, and drink spiced wine in order to broaden his mind in the service of God and his Torah. As Rava said, wine and fragrance make a man's mind more receptive. Aha. So, Rava. What? What? I don't believe that people are going to drink wine to give their intentions to serve your mind better. I mean, That's true. Most people don't do that. So but let's say somebody really... Wait, I'm drowning in defected... Yes, yes, um, yes, 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 yes. Neshama. Yes. So <laughs> why, why am I focusing on this if it's... No, like, it's not... I mean, I said many times that we have to finish everything and then we can have that discussion, right? No, I said the end of chapter 7 when we have this discussion about how to put us all in perspective. Yeah. Once the end yeah. So here's the thing. If a person, right, there's, there's something, there, if, if a person drinks good, eats good meat and drinks good wine, what does that do to them? Well, fatty beef and well, spiced wine. Well, it makes them um, indulge into their That's one thing that could happen. You know another thing that can happen? It makes you very broad-minded. What? What? 
So I'm going. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use I'm going to use a different example the Gemara uses, not the Malter, but uses, which is a little bit easier, and then we'll work back to this example. Okay. The Gemara says that having money makes a person more broad-minded. Just think about it, right? How do you like, just, just how do you feel? Because it gives you more opportunity. No, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, regardless of the why, the fact of the matter is when you have money, like if you have a lot of money, especially if it's like within your proximity, right, a person feels an expansiveness and an openness. So there was a sage named Rabbeinu Tam. You heard of Rabbeinu Tam? Rashi's grandson? You know how he, he did something to do with Rabbeinu Tam, he made a living by being a money lender to non-Jews. He lent money with interest. Okay. He was quite wealthy. He had like a little palatial estate, actually. He had what? A little, little palace. Not like a big thing. Yeah, a, you know, kind of a manor, yeah. Before he was murderly, brutally murdered by the crusaders, but yeah. Is it possible to earn a lot of money, like more than you technically need, as, if you're doing it with oh, the intent so, of... So, Rubenu Tam, as he's sitting and learning Thomas, sorry. Rubenu Tam used to have a pile of gold coins on the table when he was learning Talmud. Do you know why? He wasn't thinking that I have a lot of money. Oh, come on. Sorry. I really okay, so you don't fixate on like other little things that are bothering you? Okay. Have you, ever, have, you ever, have, you ever, have you ever tried learning in a room which is bigger, well-lit, and clean, and well-furnished versus trying to learn in a drabby place? Okay. There are things that affect people. In other words, like this. We are people. Even Sadiqim are people. And guess what? Things that are pretty, things that taste good, things that, well, these things have effects on the human psyche. Now, somebody who has a lot of money and is in a wonderfully lavish place is in a very different, is, is, is in a very different mindset than not. Now, here's the thing. If the things that drive you in life are your ego, right, are your personal comfort, right, then that becomes something as like an end of itself. You just want that for its own sake, right? But what if the only thing you actually desire in life is closeness to God? Does that mean these things don't affect you? I wouldn't know. They do affect you. But the only reason you would do those things is because... Right. But can I ask a question? I don't know if that's you, but then like, how come, especially in Chabad, there's like, the, it's the exact opposite. Like, there are many nice things and like everything is partial. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. There's two things. There's two things. What do you mean they're everything using nice things? Have you ever have you ever seen what they're ever the the the, 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 the have lots of nice things? Like, like, we're we're into our 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 yes. A wealthy seven seventy. Forget that. Just about that thing. I don't think that's what we're talking on the level. But for someone who's on the level, is like Rabbi Tom could do it for a shine. That's not what you saw. Depends. Yes. Depends. No. Depends what the issue was. Which Rebbe, Which Rebbe, Which time? I mean, what do you mean? So in our times, it's the I'm saying that no, the, idea, not recognized, but the idea of a person who's godly, that what he's doing is for godly, right? That's not me, that's not because we're not on a level, fine. I'm saying well, no, I don't, know, I don't know why you keep saying that, but like, I'm not sure where you're at. What did the Rebbe eat? No chocolate, a lot of chocolate. Okay. Why? Because apparently the chocolate was good for the Rebbe's brain. <laughs> 
Like the Rebbe didn't live on a diet of, of water and, and, and dry bread. The Rebbe lived on. Okay, but the Rebbe did not live a life. One second. It's not a life of. This is the key thing. It's not about indulgence. It's about things affect people psychologically and physiologically. That is, and for the when the when the Rebbe's right wife passed away, they hired a cook for the Rebbe. Yeah. And this Rebbe, this cook like was like very like very conscientious. Like the Rebbe was older, but didn't have teeth. And um, the cook, um, at one point she made meatballs. Now, I don't know if anybody here ever made meatballs. Yeah, yeah. Making meatballs is an art form. Okay, because the trick with meatballs, the trick with meatballs, okay, is that on the one hand, the meat has to be cooked. On the other hand, if you just take minced meat, ground meat, and you make it into a ball, and you just cook it, it's hard and it's dense. It's hard to eat, it's unpleasant to eat, and it's not also great for the digestive, right? The trick is to make the meatball light and fluffy while being cooked all the way through. Which is like a thing. It's like a, a chachmat of how to do it. By the way, you know how the Italians do it? They ta- the trick to make Italian meatballs? Milk. I'm not kidding, that's the actual trick. Milk. Yeah, I know. So, that's why if you want to make really good meatballs, you have to figure out how to, how, what the milk is doing in the recipe. You have to figure out how to substitute that with something that's milk. What? Put almond milk, right? You can like mix, you can mix like, there's different ways of doing it, but yeah, it's a chachma too. Anyway, so this cook like worked really hard to make these very, very light, fluffy meatballs for one meal for the Rebbe. And um, you know how people are, right? You put a lot of effort, you want a compliment? So the cook asked the Rebbe's secretary to find out if the Rebbe liked the meatballs. And the, Reb, the secretary asked the Rebbe, and the Rebbe said, I didn't, actually didn't eat the meatballs because the meatballs would have made me heavy and would have affected my, me, my ability to do what I need to do. Heavy? Yeah. Yeah, it's like it makes you tired. People you eat food, it affects you. So what I want you to understand is this, yeah? Meatballs made the Rebbe heavy. Chocolate made the Rebbe more whatever, right? People get affected by things, yeah? People get affected by things, okay? And these things, another thing, wonder is that, that every person, whether a person is a tzaddik, whether a person's a bang, whether a person's a rasha, if, if it's a nice sunny day, what is that going to do to you? Put you in a good mood. Put you in a good mood. If it's cold, damp, and dark, it's going to have an effect, right? Now, obviously, how much of an effect varies on the person, varies on issues, but these things have an effect, right? Having well-furnished, spacious place to, to work, to live, to function, is very different than having cold, cramped place to work, right? Having money affects a person. It gives a person a sense of, of capacity, of ability, of broadness, right? Beauty affects a person, okay? The, 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 the culinary effect of food, right? That there's, that, 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 that it, the alcohol quality of wine, all the things, they affect people, regardless of what your intentions are, they have physiological and psychological effects on a person. Yeah. So now here's the question, right? Okay, it's very nice that if you, if you drink, let's use the example, you drink alcohol, it makes you less inhibited. Okay, but why do you want to be less inhibited? You want to be less inhibited because like your day is hard and you want to just like chill out? You want to be less, in, you want to be less inhibited because you've got like psychological issues you're trying to avoid in life? You want to be less inhibited because um, you, you want to be able to access parts of your soul which your rational mind blocks? Like, well, why do you want to be so uninhibited, right? That's an interesting question, right? You want, to, you want to have a broadness of spirit, a sense of capacity. Why? So that you can immerse yourself deeper into Hashem's Torah or because it just feels good, right? There's, these are open questions. Like, what's really motivated? The facts are these affect us, but why do you want that effect? 
What's driving you to that effect? Don't you kid yourself so much to believe that the good that you actually think so, but it's not actually. Um, this is the main thing in Chabad is that you is that like don't it's don't kid, don't no don't kid yourself don't do that don't t- don't tell yourself that stuff. Yeah. So Rava, you know who Rava, you know who Rava was, you know who Rava was Rava Rava in the era in the era of Rava 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 was the 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 one of the two greatest sages in the entire Jewish people. It's like you had Moshe and Aaron. You have heard of Moshe and Aaron? In Rava's times, it was Abai and Rava. Okay, Rava, right? Rava said, why, why did Rava you know, want, want good wine and tasty food? Why? Because Rava knew that when he has these things, I think it's Rava also that he says that uh, they asked him a question and he gave an answer the next day. He comes and says, I made a mistake. I hadn't eaten beef that day. And so my mind was not... Um, Are you serious? Yeah. Okay, you can go into loft your spiritual levels, but there's a very big things affect people. So the question is why you want that effect. So yeah. it's important to figure out what affects you. Yeah. So For, it's okay like to smoke weed if like it brings to a better spiritual place and learning and connection. So so the the answer to that is no. <laughs> the answer to that is no because you added the word. So if you ask me, is it okay to smoke weed because a person is suffering from chronic pain and enables them to tolerate that pain and and, and, and actually do more, then that's a, then then assuming that that's correct, there's no legality issues that there's you know. That, that's a reasonable argument to make. But the minute you mix spirituality into the answer is no, because none of these things make you more spiritual. And weed specifically, weed specifically, if you really want, want to get it, the effect that weed has is actually detrimental to every kind of Avedis of Hashem. Really? Yes. Why? Because an important aspect of Avedis Hashem is a sense of agency. You know what agency means? No. It means I can do things. I'm going to make something happen. Not that I've ever had weed, but from what I've seen and read, and also the Rebbe said this, weed has the opposite effect on a person. It, makes, it, it creates a sense of um, complacency about existence and passive acceptance, and also distorts a person's sense of reality. But it's like not in any way conducive to any kind of mental state that's not conducive to learning Torah, it's not conducive to davening, it's not conducive to raising a family, it's not conducive to any of those things. It's not conducive to, to, to underlying the inner yearnings of your soul. It is a good way of, of getting rid of, of pain and, and stress, which if that's chronically bothering you, like, and medically speaking, that's the most effective way of dealing with it, that's fine, it's a good discussion. Where someone's spiritual things don't affect him? Where someone's spiritual things don't affect him? No. No. So that's why Tzaddikim really look forward. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, the the Mittler Rebbe was asked which Shidduch he wanted. There were two options. And he said, whichever one is first, because I want to hear the Maimarim at the wedding. So there's like a follow up question no one seems to ask. Well, why didn't the Altar just tell them the Maimarim? Like, why, why, what does one thing have to do with the other? Like, he wants to hear the, he wants to hear the Chizidic discourse, he wants to hear the Maimarim. So the Altar can tell them the Maimarim. You know what the answer is? The Altar couldn't tell them the Maimarim. Because in order for the Altar to say those Maimarim, he would have to be in what state? In a wedding state. The marrying off his oldest son and his successor puts him in a different state, and he can, then he can say different Maimarim. Okay, so then you. 
Like vary from person to person how they act. Sure. So you could have a person that doesn't eat food and nurse another person. 100%. Okay. Right? 100%. The, 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 um, the, one of the Tzamech Sadek's gave him a very expensive Italian bookcase. So shipped, you know, this is in the mid 1800s, early mid 1800s, shipped the bookcase from Italy to Lubavitch. And the Tzemach Sadek says, I have no need for this. Give this to my youngest son, who was known to be extremely extravagant. This is, this is something that's for him. Wait, which one is that? The Tzemach Sadek's bookcase was made of like unfinished planks of wood. There's different ways of, uh, of serving Hashem. There's a, there's a famous story. There was the, the Tzadik, the Ruzh Rebbe, and he had gold-plated shoes. You heard this? They had gold-plated shoes? He was extremely wealthy. He had gold-plated shoes, but he didn't have soles on the bottom. His idea is he was just using it for show. The Reb Marash like, had fancy stuff, and he used the fancy stuff. There were, there were, yes, different people, different things. I mean, the... the, the, the but the Rujan was trying to make a point about how people should view the Tzadik, not what the Tzadik needs for himself. The, the Reb Marash lived a life of extravagance when he was a private person. Yes, he had like a horse. Co- he had he had a coach with six horses. Okay. <laughs> like, it's a different thing. Okay, so the, the, and the thing is, this applies to every person on every level. Things affect you, and so if a person is 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 is, is if you want to put your mind in more, rec- let's say you you want to come to a class and you want to be in the best possible state, you have to know yourself. Do you need a good night's sleep? So then you got to go to sleep. Otherwise, how are you going to be able to pay attention to Tanya, right? Do you need to eat breakfast before? So make sure you eat breakfast before, right? If breakfast is cold and dry, and then you're going to be just be frozen. You need to know how things affect you, but then the question is, okay, but, but what is ultimately driving you? If what's ultimately driving you is you want to be more receptive to Torah, to be able to do mitzvahs, right? And that's why you're, you're thinking, then, then, then what's happening is the good in that is being made the dominant thing and it becomes absorbed into holiness. Is it just the dominant, or is it 100 um, That's where it gets complicated. It's really, it, 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 first it becomes dominant, and then only the good becomes holy, and then the bad withers away and dies. Um, what happens in like the reverse? Like if I need to learn something, I don't think that's what? Is that like sleep also? Yeah, but let's keep going in. in when you're not sleeping, it's Okay, then he brings another example. Or, in order to fill the command concerning the enjoyment of Shabbos or the festivals. Okay, this one is tricky. Um, we're going to talk about this. There is a mitzvah to enjoy Shabbos and festivals. Okay, is there a mitzvah to eat on Shabbos? Yeah. No, there's no mitzvah to eat on Shabbos. There's a mitzvah to? Now, most people enjoy. Hence, the rabbis enacted that you have to have meals. Right? Okay. There are extenuating circumstances where a person is not required to eat on Shabbos because in those extenuating circumstances it's painful for them to eat, okay? Which is different than if there's mitzvah eat. If mitzvah you gotta eat whether it's painful or not. Okay, so now, let's say on Shabbos there's schnitzel. And I'm eating the schnitzel. Now, is the schnitzel, is my eating the schnitzel Elevating the good in the Klippas Noga and making it into the Roman Polonius, I'm eating the schnitzel on Shabbos. Wait, what? I'm eating schnitzel. Shabbos, I'm sitting at the Shabbos, I'm eating some schnitzel. Very good schnitzel. 
Is this, is this, is, is now, the, is the schnitzel now entered the realm of holiness? What does it say in the text? So there's eating food and open up your mind to the service of a Shem and Torah, right? It originates in people. But, but, but is it, is it, does it, as, as I'm eating it, as I'm eating it, does it ascend to holiness or not? What does it say there? It's distilled. Before, but that's in not what I meant. It says in order to. In order to. What does in order to mean? That you're eating it for, for the purpose of enjoying Shabbos. What if I'm not eating it for the purpose of enjoying Shabbos? Then no. Then, no. then it's not elevated. Did ever once said, um, he said, if you want to indulge, that's fine. But why do you have to do it at the Shabbos table? At a holy time, a holy place? You want to eat food because it tastes good, eat it on Tuesday. <laughs> like, if you're going to be a glutton, don't do it at the holy time and holy place. In other words, like this. Okay? And, and this gets into an issue that, that this issue becomes very dependent on who the person is. So, for instance, right? When you have a family, right? And you make lots of food that all the kids like in order that the kids should look forward to Shabbos, right? And the kids are eating the food, look forward to Shabbos. And like, yeah? That's all elevated to holiness. That's easy. Why? Because why do you make all the food? Why do you serve all the food? Right? In order to bring the kids into Shabbos, right? Okay, so like, that's fine, right? The trick more becomes, right? What if you have a person who's just a very simple, straightforward person, right? I know people, they're just simple, straightforward people, right? Shabbos is a holy day. We should appreciate Shabbos. We'll have good food. We appreciate Shabbos. Like, that's really, really honestly, like, in order to honor the Shabbos, in order to appreciate Shabbos, we're going to have good food. And they say things for Shabbos, and like, it's very simple, very straightforward. They get, so they're not doing people? No. Yeah, the problem is the the problem is the this is the issue, okay? This is the issue, and you're they, not going to like this. What? For sure, but I'm saying this issue. The issue here with the issue with this is the deeper you are, the more nuanced you are, the more self-aware you are. This notion of doing something for a reason becomes right. So the simple Jew, right? right there's a famous story with, with, it's not the same idea, but it's the same famous story that the, the Baal Shem Tov, the Rebbe Yitzchak was told that there's a certain Jew in the town who's going to merit to be with him at the Seder, in, in Gan Eden. And because his Seder is, even, is as great as the Rebbe Yitzchak is even greater. To make a long story short, it turned out, what was this guy's Seder? The guy's Seder was, he found out that you can't drink alcohol on Pesach, you can't drink liquor, because it's comments. So what did he do? Erev Pesach. He drank enough to make up for the eight days that he wasn't going to be able to drink. <laughs> and he passed out. And his wife wakes him up in the drunken stupor night and says, wake up and make a Seder. All Jewish people, make a Seder, make a Seder. He gets up, he's got a hangover. He's like, out of it. He sees the matzah, he sees the wine. He's like, you know, God took us out of this first exile. He'll take us out of this exile. He eats the matzah, drinks the wine, and falls back to sleep. <laughs> but the thing is, where was he coming from in that? Where was he coming from? He was doing it. He's a Jew, and that's what a Jew, and that was it. There was nothing else complicated, right? So now, if you have somebody, like, the people like this, what do you mean? Why do we have 20 different salads? Because it's Shabbos, and they mean it in all sincerity. Okay, fine. There's no problem. The problem starts to be, well, that's not really what's going on. You're doing it so that people are like, appreciate you and thank you. Yeah, when you start making... You feel like I'm, you're showing up your culinary. You have culinary skills, you like to eat the food. 
So that's the thing. Is he says when it's done, there's a mitzvah to enjoy Shabbos. There's a mitzvah to celebrate Shabbos. And if that's why you're doing it, then these things are. And it's possible. Yeah, it's the issue is that you're, it's not black and white. It ends up being a mix of both. Yeah. It's Shabbos and it's my culinary hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yes, yes, yes. As you go that's into. Usually, what happens? Yeah, you. You have you can't get people to do shit at the same time. You can, because there's different aspects of different things. You're getting so 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 on, so so if so the degree to which you're eating it in order to in order to fulfill the mitzvah of enjoying Shabbos that that food is elevating is that food is strengthening your godly soul, and the degree to which that's not what you're doing it's actually weakening your godly soul. It can be strengthening one aspect and weakening another aspect. Yeah. Okay, and, and, and it's the same thing, right? If I have a cup of coffee in the morning because th- th- I know myself, there's no other way I'm going to be alert enough to, to give my citizens class in the morning. That's really my motivation. The coffee itself already is strengthening my godly soul because it, it's an order to open my mind for the service of Hashem. And if, and if I know for myself that it's more effective with milk, so I put milk in it and sugar in it, because that's really why I'm doing those things, really, then the milk and sugar also are strengthening my godly soul. It's like, here, does eating food make it easier to pour your heart out to God or harder to pour your heart out to God? I don't know. Well, the answer is it depends. If you're eating food in order to be able to have, really, in order to be able to, 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 to learn Torah, do mitzvahs, etc., then the food itself makes you more spiritually sensitive. On the other hand, if you're not getting more spiritually sensitive from eating food, maybe that's a sign that your underlying motivation is really just about you. Something, something that has nothing to do with godliness. And it happens to be. It also helps for godliness. Yeah? In order for this sleepers Noga, for the tobe to go into the holiness, right, and then the bad part to die off, it really has to be that that's... So most of the time... Most of the things that we're doing, even though we need them in order to serve Hashem, yeah. are those things actually become entering and being absorbed into holiness? No. I mean, a little. It's it, so little that it's almost inconsequential. It's interesting yeah. because you couldn't, by like watching someone's actions, you couldn't really tell how holy a person they are. Correct. Correct. This is a key teaching in Chassidus, is that, is that you can tell if a person's sinning or not sinning. But when you talk about this stuff, it's very hard to tell. It's very, very hard to tell, right? I'm going I'm to tell you, tell you a, a, a cool story. So on Shabbos, uh, a friend of mine said that he was at a Febrengen, and everyone had to take a chlop. They take a good resolution. So he said, and then they're going to write the resolutions off to the Rebbe to make the Rebbe proud, blah, blah, blah. That's what do. And um, so people went around, and he made a resolution. His resolution is he's going to chat for 15 minutes with people after davening. Shmooze. Dvarbatim, just idle chat. Like after davening, he's not going to leave the show. He's just going to sit back and shmooze with people for 15 minutes. That's his achlata. That's his achlata. <laughs> Why are we friends? Because it's such a, like, you guys can be like, like, a whole thing on Okay, so there's the thing. This guy, this guy... This guy has, has, taken, has been very influential in getting a lot of people who, even though on the surface of it might seem like they're religious and Haredi, but are actually like really on the edge, getting them to be from. 
Like there's people that like they look they've got the cat, the jacket, the whole thing, the wives are like with the shape and everything, but like they're in their house they're like barely religious. And like he's been able to get people like that to be more religious. There's tons of women from so called Haredi Orthodox homes that started keeping mikvah again because of him and his Amazing. wife. Yeah. There's people there weren't, yeah. People aren't always on the outside what they on the on the inside what they seem on the outside. Now, how do you, and there's people that he, like, that, like, he's gotten them to start being interested in learning Hasidus, and, like, he, he deals with a lot of people who, like, officially are already ultra-Orthodox, but, like, either the relationship to Hasidus is non-existent, or even the relationship to Judaism is basically just entirely, like, a show. Now, how do you think he establishes connections with these people? Because he's, 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 like, he's a phenomenal schmoozer. Like, he just sits, and he schmoozes, and he schmoozes, and he schmoozes, yeah. And all of a sudden, you see a guy that he's been schmoozing with for like six months. You see that guy, you walk into a show, and you see this guy sitting and they're learning a time. Like, why, since when do you learn Tanya? It somehow came about because. So that. Right. Now, and it's not like he talks to them specifically about things. It's, so he's just like, wait a minute. If, if I want to do something good in life, I know that my schmoozing, what does it lead to? It leads to, to people becoming closer to Hashem. So you know what? I'm gonna have to like. I'm gonna like now. Sometimes he's, like guy runs a business. He's got work to do. He's got places to go and people to see. But that fifteen minutes, I'm not going anywhere. Whoever's around, we're gonna schmooze. Why? What'll come of it? Because like he knows himself. Now, if I made such a resolution, it'll be totally pointless. Because like if I sit around schmoozing and I don't know anybody there, like I'm not gonna talk to people because I'm not that kind of person. You know. So too, when man utters a pleasantry in order to sharpen his wit and rejoice in the service of God, in his Torah and service, that it should be practiced joyfully, as Ravel was wont to do so with his pupils, professing his discourse with some witty remark to enliven their, the students thereby. What if you make jokes? Do jokes strengthen your godly soul or weaken your godly soul? It depends. It depends. The, the Rebbe had a secretary named Rebbe Rajtin. Rebbe Rajtin had was a bit of a clown. So the Rebbe had a tendency to like use everything to the end. He used like the, the like little scraps of the paper. Like if you sent the Rebbe a letter and there was like a big piece of paper or this wasn't used, the Rebbe would rip it off and save it. So people got in the habit of like only sending the exact amount of paper that was actually needed. Um, the Rebbe used the pencils to like there's almost nothing left. So one time the Rebbe finished the pencil and he asked Rebbe Rochstein if there's another pencil. So Rebbe Rochstein came in with a pencil that was literally sharpened all the way to the uh, eraser. So it was just like the point and the eraser. And the Rebbe says, maybe you have something bigger. So then he brought in one of these big novelty pencils. <laughs> and the Rebbe thought it was very funny. <laughs> and he would do these kinds of things from time to time because, you know, people need to lighten their mood. Like sometimes if things were very like heavy in 770, like davening, everyone would see like very just uptight. He would like make a few jokes. The Magdav Mezrich had a disciple who was, was a good friend of the Alter Rebbe and someone of his mentor named Mendel Haradokar. Mendel Haradokar came to, to the Magdav on Rosh Hashanah. What? He used he used to, he, he would come to he, he came to the market and Rosh Hashanah davening is very serious day right? So you know the back of the show where all the people sit and schmooze. Yeah. So he used to sit there with his jacket un open like this. Yeah. The talis like one of these guys and he would sit and schmooze with all of the like low lives of the show. This is how he spent his time Rosh Hashanah. Really? Yeah. 
So someone complained to the Maggid, and the Maggid said, you don't realize that he's like unifying things with godliness right now? Like, he's not doing it because he's he, like, if it's not forbidden, it's theoretically possible that that thing can have a positive effect in one's ability to serve Hashem, and that's the reason why you're doing it? Is that possible? So if that's really why you're doing it, then that thing really becomes holy. And convincing yourself does not work. And convincing yourself doesn't accomplish anything. Pretending that that's your motivation doesn't work. Are you better off than just not doing it? We'll get to that. Okay? Okay? So yeah, I mean, look, and, and, and you know, and it's very hard to judge because like it could be that, you know, so much matters about the time and the person and the circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. right? And obviously the deeper and more self-aware you are, the more demanding this is, right? The more simple and straightforward you are, the more straightforward it is. Right? In other words, this is not like Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch, I can look up a book, it tells me this is okay, this is not okay, this is right, this is wrong, and I'm done, right? Here, I ha- it's entirely dependent on who you are and what situation you're in and what's real and what's not real. Right? In other words, this is the part of Judaism where like, you really have to be yourself. You can't pretend to be someone you're not. Right? Should you have a beautiful wedding hall? Right, and this this gets an issue, right? Is there, is there like a, there's no, you can't like look up in the code of Jewish law, right? We all understand that can get like that can be not done for the right reasons. It could be done for the right reasons. How beautiful, right? And it, and you know if you're the chief rabbi of the country, it's a little bit different than if you're just like some anonymous random person who's living in Chicago, right? And what the wedding serves in the little, the, just the community is also different, right? <laughs> the, the, knowing this, it, it, this is this is this is where a person really has to be honest and risk genuine. That's also where mentorship comes important. Like having someone who can honestly tell you, like, stop fooling yourself. Having friends, we have to work on them and get better. Okay, but here's the thing. Wait, if you I, were arranging a wedding. Like you were like planning your wedding, and you were realizing like, like no matter what you're doing for planning it, like the venue, everything was just for your own gain. Should you wait to continue planning your wedding until you can do everything for? No, there's an there's an issue here where 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 you have to weigh the the danger of putting something off. Of un- that itself can undermine something. For instance. Um, the Rebbe speaks very strongly, especially in modern times, that one should make the wedding as quickly as possible after the engagement. That it's really bad to have a gap in, as, in between. There was even a point, I think, where the Rebbe said that he would pay for part of the wedding, maybe the, the band, if there was less than six weeks between the engagement and the wedding. What's so bad about the gap? What's so bad about the gap? Um, the Torah fundamentally thinks that men and women should not have any relationships with each other, period. <laughs> The exception being um, relationships between um, parents and children, and obviously grandparents, grandchildren, um, and spouses, you know, and siblings. So here's the problem: you're not married, so you really shouldn't have a relationship. And the longer the time that goes between being engaged and 
I don't just mean in terms of physical, just the whole idea of having an emotional relationship with someone that you're not married to is not something that, is that something the Torah thinks is spiritually detrimental and ultimately bad for the person's also it's bad for the person's um, ability to form the right relationship of marriage later on. And so back in the day when people's getting engaged was not a, was not reflective of their relationship at all, right? Parents decide who you marry, so you so you don't meet the person, so that's different. But now that people get to know each other and decide to get married, then like so so it means you're like you're into having a relationship, so then like like get married and have a relationship. Don't push that off. Yeah, it's really bad. Engagement that has a lot of status. No, no, no. What do you mean? That wasn't the times of the Gemara. That hasn't been done for for a thousand years that way. No, most close close almost 1,500 years that way. No. That's why now it's such an issue because now you're not anything. It doesn't make a difference because even then it's for having a relationship with after the kedushin is equally forbidden. No, the reason was because back in the day the parents decided who the person married and they they didn't have a relationship at all. In that could, well, yeah. that's why, is that why in Hasidic communities will be engaged for a year? In Hasidic yeah, communities, yeah, they, the they, they argue that. I mean, the problem is that nowadays, the amount of things get in, it's, just, it's not. The better, once the person's already in the getting married thing, they should get married. That's Serb's view. Right, no. Okay. But I don't know how I got onto that. Uh, so, in that case, I mean, it doesn't, you know, it's a, you don't push it off, right? It's like. But 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 each thing has to be weighed and adjusted accordingly, right? So the idea that klipas is a bridge. So because klipas is a bridge, it has to have an element of good, right? Just like that, which allows it to connect to holiness, just like it has an element of ra, which allows it to connect to the impure klipas. Which means that the good element can be made so dominant and brought out that it becomes absorbed into the side of holiness. And that happens anytime we do something, which is not a mitzvah, but our motivation is for how this thing enhances and enables my ability to serve Hashem, then that act itself, or that food stuff itself, not just is in the service of God, but it actually becomes holy and therefore strengthens you. Right? In other words, it's not just that it doesn't drag you down, it elevates you. If you eat, if you go to work for these reasons, then the mundane activities actually make you more spiritually sensitive to holiness. But that's, as we all understand, that's kind of a hard thing to do because the motivation has to be genuine. The game is huge, but the losses, these are both huge pieces of the joke. Whoa, whoa, we didn't get there. There's more to the chapter. The, the, the game could be. Now, obviously, the holiness in these things is not the same as the holiness in a mitzvah. Okay? But if everything in your life is either a mitzvah or something you're only doing in order to connect to Hashem, then your whole life is holy. You're going to work is holy, going to the bathroom is holy, brushing your teeth is holy. Yeah. Do you need to be a tzaddik to live like this? No. No. You just need to be in love with Hashem. Is this a man? This is, yes. You just need to be in love with Hashem? Yeah. That's it. If you're in love with Hashem. Oh, it, it is that simple. Being in love with Hashem is not that simple. If you're in love with Hashem, then you're not going to want anything to pull you away from that. And that's, yeah. The yeah, trick is to... Because you're a person with two parts to you, so you could be in love with Hashem and still be a physical human that has physical pleasures. You know what's really weird? That when you are, in, when you are feeling love and desire, yeah. that, that love and desire is strong enough and other things get in the way, you feel a sense of detachment from those things. Right? 
So it, the issue comes back to this about love, which is, which is why Chassidus teaches that to do things in order, all this in order, in order, in order, to have the right motivation means that it's an outgrowth of your love of Hashem, which means if you're not working on actually feeling love for Hashem, then this whole ph- phenomenon is basically unavailable to you. You can't will yourself into it. You can't decide I'm doing it for the right motivations. You have to, you have to feel the love for Hashem. In order to feel the love for Hashem, you have to know Hashem. What? A love for Hashem? No. You yourself. I mean, yeah, but that's really bad. Why is that really bad? Imagine marrying somebody because you convinced yourself that you love them. Right, but I'm not marrying a you, It's worse. With, with your, when you marry your husband, at least like it's not 24 hours a day, seven days a week that everything is an interaction with him, right? With Hashem, it literally is that. So like, if you convince yourself you're in love with Hashem and you're not really, you're like really setting yourself for horrible, like just going to come crashing down. It's going to be miserable. Like You're better off saying, I'd like to love Hashem. I'm aspiring to love Hashem, but it's hard rather than pretending you really feel it when you don't. You can even acknowledge there's some part of you deep down which loves Hashem that you're not in touch with all the time. That's fine. You just have to be genuine. You have to be authentic. Be honest. Don't, don't, don't make stuff up. All right. Tomorrow we will continue and find out what happens when we're doing things for other motivations. That's what we just said. Of course. So we all get the motivation.